and welcome to episode 32 of Satanic Vercast. You know the score by now, no need for explanations. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting from Gareth Southgate's squad selection emergency room, it's Dr. Lee Quessence. How you doing, Doc? <clears throat> um, very well, as always. Um, moist, putrid and reeking. Mm-hmm. Um, Just the way we the like way you. you. I was going to say, the, uh, the way you all love me. Um, Gareth Southgate, of course, has a very special <clears throat> place in our heart. He um, does. And it, it's, it's, I think, best summed up as it's possible to forgive, but not to forget. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. <laughs> in fact, I think we've, I think we've, 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 we've waxed lyrical on this subject before on the podcast, so we, we, we don't need to go into too many details. No, um, um, but... <clears throat> um, I've been overhearing, um, like from 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 a vantage point in in the um, uh, the the trash box um, on the railway train and things like that. Um, I've overheard people talking about football recently, and people are greatly concerned that the performance of the England team is greatly dependent on Gareth Southgate's ability to pick a squad. What do you think about that statement? Do you think it's do, do, do you think it has any truth to it at all? Or? Well, I suppose so. You know, he, he's trying to blend together like a bunch of disparate ingredients to make a palatable dish, I suppose. Um, you know, so, you know, he, so he's got to not only get, pe- not only get pe- people that play well together, but also mesh kind of on a personality front. And, you know, you need leaders and followers and you need to get the balance of all this stuff right. Right. Now, according to the marks on the floor um, in, 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 in the sort of starry ceiling chamber, which I'm in at the moment, mm-hmm. um, as much as leaders and followers or even ability to play football, it appears that the squad selection um, will be based upon um, which entities are worshipped by the people who are picked. Well, Hoddle famously used um, Eileen Drury, you know, and, and her kind of astral and... and um, astrological predict- predictions so maybe gareth is just taking it to the next level yeah i mean uh, glenn hoddle of course was a well-known support a, 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 a well-known um follower of cthulhu mm-hmm. um <laughs> what, what, what wasn't wasn't i supposed to say that live on here no, no 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 i think this is one you know one of those unwritten secrets doc yeah um so it, it, it might not also sort of go completely uh, awry if I were to let slip that, contrary to popular opinion, um, Mr. Waddle um, mm. was a follower um, of Naira Lathotep, the Crawling Chaos. <laughs> I mean, you can just tell by the way he speaks, can't you, really? The, 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 Definitely. The, the only um, explanation for that accent, surely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to let on um, who was a follower of Astaroth, the blind idiot god. <laughs> oh, Roy Hodgson, we're looking at you, sunshine. Um, my, my, my lips are sealed, all 23 of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right, Doc, I need a haircut. What do you think? Have a look. Have, have a look at me. What do, what do you make of this? Um, well, it, it, it's... It looks very neatly cropped to me. Does it? Yeah. Oh, it, it feels terrible to me. It, it feels far too long. It's it just feels unkempt. 
Um, I feel quite dishevelled, but 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 to your eyes, not a problem. No, I mean, is is it not a bit like having your own kitten? Well, it, 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 I, I do like it for kind of like pensive moments, just to you know, just kind of you know, just to be able to actually put your fingers through something is quite nice. Of course, That's normally fun. when normally when I do it, it, it's just kind of bristle and, and you know and and, and swayed. Um, so it, it, it's quite pleasant in that way. Um, Doc, tonight I'm drinking something called cherry wine. Have you heard of such a beast? Honestly, up until that moment, I was only familiar with it in the context of the song, We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off, open brackets, to have a good time, close brackets, by Jermaine Jackson. I presume there's a rhyme somewhere, to have a good time with our cherry wine or something. Um, If I've got this correct, the chorus went, we don't have to take our clothes off to have a good time. Oh, no. We Mm -hmm. could dance and party all night and drink some cherry wine. Aha. There we go. Yeah. And what year was that? Was that particular Janet Jackson classic? Oh, it's Jermaine Jackson. Oh, Jermaine. Doesn't he sound Um, just like his sister? Well, yeah. And um, once again, I, I, I... I haven't watched that music video for, I believe it was the year 1989. Okay, yeah. I haven't watched that music video for a very long time, but Jermaine Jackson confused me a lot because Jermaine Jackson looks extremely feminine, um, but has a prominent moustache. <laughs> um, yes, yes. And, um, this, this, this wouldn't be unremarkable um, in these days of social progress and gender fluidity, but it it it, 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 it stuck out to me in the year 1989 because I, I I was I was a sheltered thing in those days. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, in 1989. By, oh, sorry, Doc, I mean, in, 19, by, in 1989, I didn't even know what a bulldicker was. So I, I, I share your <laughs> I share your naivety. Bike sheltered. I mean, I'd actually been living in an Anderson shelter since 1944. Of course, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even at that point, you were 500 years old. So what, what does time matter to you? Very little. Uh, it, it, it's a completely commutable commodity to me. Mm. But I bring up cherry wine um, because I, I think I baffled somebody earlier today. I went into my local newsagent, come off licence, um, and I spotted that they had this um, wonderful elixir called Cherry Bee Cherry Wine. And... I'm telling you, Doc, I haven't seen this stuff for at least 25 years. It's a real kind of retro blast from the past. Since approximately 1989, give or take a few years. Give or take, exactly. Give or That's why I asked you what year. Yeah. You know, did you think, were you thinking about? Now, I said to the guy, you know, I like this stuff. It tastes like the 70s. Um... And it, it just, it, it seemed to really, really confuse him, Doc. He, he couldn't get his head around it. What, what do you think I meant by that? Well, the, when you talk about anything fruit-flavoured, um, and then you mention the 70s in the next breath, um, it, it, it makes me think of a, a, a somehow harsher yet kinder age when um, fundamentally things that tasted the fruit probably tasted that way um, because of all kinds of flavouring and colouring and preservative chemicals that have been mm. used in its manufacture. Mm. Um, I mean, you, you say the word cherry wine to me, and I, I, I can't get a grasp on what it is mm-hmm. um, that you mean. But I'm always thinking of when you go into more suspect convenience stores, 
They're a rarity nowadays, suspect convenience stores, but all convenience stores <clears throat> used to be in some way suspect back in the days when there's a strict delineation between news agents and off licenses. And then the, the, the convenience store, you know, which, which is like this, this odd den of iniquity. Um, and it seemed like this, looking back on it, probably because it was, that it made a living by selling nothing but um, e-numbered snacks and fruit drinks, porn, condoms, um, X-tax cigarettes, mm-hmm. um, and um, really dodgy alcoholic drinks. Sure. Um, so, your Frosty Jack and your White Lightning, that kind of stuff. Well, pre-Frosty Jack and White Lightning, always like mysterious aluminium tubes that uh, (laughs) inevitably had some sort of not-Roman typescript on them. Um, And then sort of at an odd angle, as if stamped um, with a rubber stamp, super strength. (laughs) And then behind the counter, um, there would always be a row of... There'd be something like bowls blended malt whiskey mm-hmm. um, and Gurdon's <laughs> London gin. Sure. Um, and then <laughs> under that, a row of poisonous-looking, brightly coloured bottles. <laughs> and I imagine the red one um, is what cherry wine would be. Yeah, I, I think you're right. My, my, my nan used to drink it. Um, it, it, it. It just really cheered me up when I saw it, so, so I, I could not resist buying a Absolutely. couple. Absolutely. Um, um, so, um, asking the question that, Den, that that maybe I don't want to know the answer to, what's it taste like? Well, it, 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 it tastes um, kind of superficially of that artificial cherry flavour that you get, for example, in like a cherry yoghurt, um, which is, I know it's not real, Doc, but it's a personal favourite flavour of mine. Um, and a bit of extra, a dollop of extra sugar, and then some alcohol cutting in underneath. It's actually quite, quite nice. Um, not a problem. I do, my nan was not as foolish as she appeared at the time. Um, do you want your topic, Doc? I'd love my topic, yes, please. Just we... before I completely dr- dr- drift off into nostalgia. Yeah. Jermaine yeah, Jackson. I could, I could see you were lost in a reverie there, so I, I thought I'd try and drag yeah. you back. Um, should... Bands or artists do interviews. What do we think? What a fascinating question. Mm. Um, there is, as always, a massive spectrum of answers. Um, there's at least half a dozen bands who I could probably think of, and having read interviews with them, I really wish they hadn't bothered. Yeah. Um, and there's a bunch of other people. Um, Ice T is the one that springs to mind, and from from his interviews, um, he's just like someone who, even if he didn't make records, I could just sit and listen to all day. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. You you know you're onto a winner when you open the enemy or you open whatever it is, and the interview is solid blocks of text with no mm-hmm. bold. Yeah. The more blobs of bold you glimpse, so the more prompts the interviewer is giving or the more questions the interviewer, the more of those you see, um, the less worthwhile the interview is likely to be. The first Ice-T interview I read, which is probably even before I heard any of his records, um, the blob of bold is a 
tiny two line thing in the top left hand corner and the rest of it is just him sounding off for <laughs> one to four tabloid sized pages one after another just like a stream um, of and, consciousness and I, 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 you set him off on something and with it never he, he, he never rambles he never just mm. goes off into a stream of consciousness and leaves you to pick out the good bits um you get the impression that before he goes into an interview he prepares it in the same way that you prepare a college lecture um, in that particular interview, um, I believe the first three words which he committed to tape, um, which probably sets the tone for the whole thing, was "Yo, listen up." Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm here to do the talking. You, you, you sit down and listen, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, it's a great example. So you know, so that's a positive. There, so Ice T. You know, obviously a, a, a great speaker, you know, a, a great thinker of our times. Um, so that's a positive. What, any negatives, Doc, can we think of? Um, we alluded to this very, very, uh, very, very early on in this project. Um, Terrorizer once scoped out a big space to interview Glenn Benton from DS. And oh my fucking God, I oh, wish yeah. they hadn't. Yeah. Um, because the man managed, I, I just wish he kept his mouth shut, because he managed to blow every single shred of mystique, or, um, yeah, mystique is the only word, um, over the space of, and, and he just grunted on. The interviewer did not do him any favours um, by writing everything he said phonetically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> either. Um and faithfully transcribing all of his grammatical errors and syntactical errors. Mm. Um, and, you know, you would love to say, dear side, just because they're from Northern Florida doesn't make them a bunch of dumb, racist Southern rednecks. And then Glenton has to, Glenn Benton has to go and open his mouth. I like Glenton. That's like a Jedward, isn't it, really? I really yeah. love that dog. Yeah. Glenton. Do, let's call him that from now on. That's his new name I'm in the podcast. Stick to that one. Yeah, I like um, that dog. From now on, we no longer need to talk about Glenn Benton from Deer Size. It's just <laughs> Glenton. Glenton. Brilliant. <laughs> I really like that dog. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's a tough one, isn't it? You know, because. I think I alluded last week to the to the fact that you know I, I barely pay any attention to, you know, the spoutings of the of the musicians in the bands that I like, um, and and I think it is because generally when when I, when I have done it, I've been left massively disappointed, and just wished I hadn't bothered because I think well, you sound like a fucking idiot. I love your music, but you sound like a fucking idiot. So I think it really put me off. There's, there's, there's a case to be made, um, as, as, as Baroness Orsi uh, put it best. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure these, uh, these words are attributed to uh, D'Artagnan um, when he said, my voice is in my sword. Um, and there's definitely something to, say, to, to be said for, uh, for taking that attitude. When I'm, I'm equally disappointed when newscasters insist on interviewing athletes. And then somehow seem to get disappointed that they don't give a list quality interview. You know, the athletes. Yeah, it, 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 it is strange, isn't it? You know, I've, I've long been a defender of Andy Murray on this on this count, actually, because people mm. criticise him for be, kind of being like a dour Scot. I just well, well, 
he's a he, he's a fucking tennis player. He, yes. You know, he, that's his job. Don't criticise him for, for not not giving good copy. I'd equally say, and um, I don't know what else. Ex- I don't know what else people expect from musicians. Um, yeah. I suppose if the guy you're talking to is also the singer and also the songwriter, um, then it's not completely unusual. It's not completely unreasonable to expect someone to explain their lyrics or talk about the songs they wrote. Good point. Yeah, good point. So the so the creative force, basically, you know, be you know, be that be that the the, the wordsmith or the you know the the composer of the music. The the guy who writes the lyrics. I don't think it's an, well, the gal who writes the lyrics. I don't think it's necessarily unreasonable to expect them to talk about the lyrics. Mm. Um, why you would ask the bass player about lyrics they don't sing in a song that they didn't write I have yeah. no idea yeah yeah um, I find it kind of a you know from creative sorts there you know you do get a lot of hot air nothing bores me more doc than you know an, an interview with an actor oh what a tedious proposition that is um, I'm trying to think um, if there are any actors, historical or current, who I've ever seen who did really good interviews, mm. um, and I think very much in the same way as you avoid interviews with musicians, I I, I, I avoid interviews with actors. Um, I'm really struggling to think of a, an actor interview um, that I've actually sat all the way through, or gone out of my way to watch, and then sat all the way through. Yeah. Um, you know, very much for the same thing. Um, I know what your job is. I know what you're paid to do well. Maybe it's to have great muscles. Maybe it's to look beautiful. Thank you. Maybe it's to have a face like a wounded puppy. Mm. Um, but <laughs> I know you didn't write that script. Um, I know you're saying lines that were given to you. Um, and besides, I know what fiction is and I know what acting is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not in the least bit interested in what you thought about the character you were hired to play. Yes, yes. It, it, it brings to mind that wonderful um, uh, John Gielgud riposte to Dustin Hoffman, I think it was, when uh, Dustin Hoffman was explaining to Gielgud his method, um, and, and, and by repute, I mean, of course he could well be apocryphal, but by repute, Gielgud just turned to him haughtily and said, why don't you just try acting, my dear boy? You know, wonderful. Um, there's um, a very similar one. Um, I actually believe that's real because uh, there's a very similar one attributed to Stanley Kubrick on mm. the set of Full Metal Jacket, um, and it was one of the scenes during the uh, the Battle of Hawaii City near to the end of the film, and um, Stanley was able to overhear uh, Sean Penn um, on about the seventy fifth, the one hundred seventy fifth take of the scene or something. Um, Sean Penn exasperatedly saying, what the hell does he want from us? At which point Stanley Kubrick picked up his megaphone and shouts, better acting. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) Good answer. (laughs) I think what we've concluded, Doc, irrefutably, is that musicians and actors, you know, just do your job and shut the fuck up. What do do you reckon? I'm, I'm always interested um, it's like a good car crash. If, if there's an interview with a person in a band that I in any way admire, um, I'm not going to buy a paper just to read it, but if there's a paper lying around or if the interview is in a paper that I already bought, I will read it, even yeah. if I stop reading after the first 100 words. Mm. Um, 
And it's it's one of those things you, you, you always read musician interviews in the hope of being surprised. Mm-hmm. However rarely you are surprised, um, you always hope this time it's going to be different. You're right. And, and, and hopefully next week when we, you know, the, 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 when we when we interview Rat from L.A. Guns, we, you know, we, we, we're going to get some real meat out of him. Fingers crossed, Doc. Shall we get on with it? What do you think? I think we should. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. Here we play the track, Yada, Yada, Yada. So... We've got another well-abbreviated intro here, haven't we? You know, it's kind of, you can tell those riffs have been, they've been written and then truncated. Not the riff itself, but the number of repetitions. I guarantee when that track was first written, you know, those opening riffs were four reps each, you know, with intermittent stops, and they've just chopped it down. I've come up with um, an idiom. Um, for Slayer's approach to doing this. And it might seem like a really obvious one. In fact, the more I think about it, the more somebody must have used it before. I've never heard it before. But um, considering how it's taken something weaponized and unwieldy and made it shorter so as to be more belligerent, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to refer to this um, by the idiom sawn down. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, lovely. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's exactly what it is. I'd be fascinated to know where that influence came from. We established a long time ago that before this album, Slayer had never really, I, I don't feel like Slayer had ever really worked with a producer before. Um, they had people who recorded their songs, um, but I never got the opinion, because they're obviously fairly large personalities. I never got the opinion before that they worked with anyone um, who would even say something like, well, that's fine, but cut, you know, make it half the length. Well, cut half the, the repetition. The first two albums were definitely produced by the same person, mm-hmm. but I can't remember his name. Um, but, you know, whether he was a taskmaster, that's a different question, isn't it? Um, I'm not disputing with, with, with what you said. Um, but there is no way that every song on those two albums was recorded by the same person in the same studio with the same equipment yep. in the same session. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm going to do is assign the producer's role to the guy who got the 16 track tapes or the 24 track tapes that Slayer had made somewhere and mixed them and equalized them um, and made masters out of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because particularly on that second album, the the quality of the recording, um, it, it's 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 all over the shop. There's there's a couple of tracks that were recorded by someone who doesn't know how to work a fucking mixing desk now, weren't they? Well, I'm, I'm looking at Wikipedia as we're speaking here now. The the, the producer on um, the first two albums was a guy called Brian Slagle, and he's the uh, not only the producer but he's the founder of Metal Blade Records. So, you know. 
you know, whether he was more of a businessman than a producer, I, I do not know. What I do know... I'm going to stick my neck out here and say he was the producer in the movie industry, in the Los Angeles movie industry. Yeah. Term producer, meaning uh, he was the accountant. He paid. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's perfectly plausible. What I do know is, is that he was the guy that, that introduced um, uh, the band to Rubin. And it was he that actually persuaded them to work with Rick Rubin. Um, so it's a, ve a very strange situation where he, he almost kind of um, un you know, undermined his own in order to encourage Slayer to work with Rubin because I think he could see what they could become. Yeah, so if, if, if I've got this right, um, after the second album, particularly after the tour that followed it, um, so was that... That that tour after the second album was 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 a famous tour in its own right. It's it, it's too it's much too early for Clash of the Titans, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Clash of the Titans is kind of seasons in the abyss kind of yeah. era. I think. In any case, I, I, if I've got this right, they took part in a multi-headed tour that's kind of semi-legendary in its own right nowadays. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and after that, uh, the Metal Blade contract had expired. Um, and I think Metal Blade were basically priced out of the market by mm. the, 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 there was a bit of a hiring frenzy. Um, no, you're quite right. From you know, from what I've been reading over the last couple of days, at, <coughs> at that point, you know that you know that there were many, there were many um, kind of operators in the market trying to seal Slayer's signature, and it was actually their current producer who said to them, "No, you go with this guy." Um, yeah, that worked out pretty well, now, didn't it? Yeah, it did, it did. Obviously, you know, his his vision was absolutely correct. Um, should, we, should we do another 20 seconds or so, Doc? What do you think? Yes. Back uh, necrophobic vibes to me, don't this ones? You know, I, I think they're almost like sister tracks, really, musically. Um, are they in the same position on the, uh, the. No, this is the first track of side two, isn't it? Uh, this is track two, side two. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. um, it's, 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 it's sort of twins of track two on side one, I believe. Well, Necrophobic was track three, I think. Yeah, because you have piece three. by okay. piece and then Necrophobic. Angel Death, people are Necrophobic. But, you know, similarly positioned, really. You, you know, you, you've had your kind of big ballsy opener in Criminally Insane, Angel of Death and then Criminally Insane. And, you know, then maybe it's time to sprinkle in something, that you know, not filler, of course, but, you know, something a, a little bit less consequential. Yeah, so I'm conscious of not just seeing what I want to see because... After the end of side one, I was very curious as to how this album was going to work as two mini albums, one mm. per side. Mm. Um, and um, I, I still haven't ruled out that possibility that that's how it was composed and arranged. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think we're pretty much in agreement there. This track fits very nicely as um, one, of the, one of the tracks after the first track and before the middle track on its respective side. Um, do you have I, any comments to make about the playing on this track so far? From a technique point of view, you mean? 
Yeah. No, not really, no, because I've never I've never I've never tried to play this track. It's not it's not a track that really stands out for me from the album. Um so I've just never even tried to it doesn't sound particularly difficult. I can't hear anything that intrinsically makes me think, oh my god, you know, that's gonna be challenging. It it just it sounds like pretty standard, you know, fast paced thrash just you know ripping along on the e string and hitting the a string from time to time so no nothing sounds too difficult fair enough um okay sorry i interrupted you there for a second what were you about to uh no i, I can't remember i've lost the flow it doesn't matter doc let's do another 20 <laughs> seconds or so oh, here we go okay <laughs> Oh yes, that, that, that reminded me. Yes, is that the most simplistic riff we've heard from Slayer so far? Let me let me play it again, Doc. Just ignore Tom for the time being. Just listen to the the, the, the underpinning riff for the verse. Here we go. I mean, it, it, it really basic stuff, isn't it? That's I think it's exactly the most simple riff we've heard so far. That's exactly why I asked you. Like, do you have any comment to make on the technique? Oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, I just, I, yeah, I just, <clears throat> I didn't, I didn't make the connection between the two. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm not enough of a guitarist, and even if I were enough enough of a guitarist, I've learned enough listening to you over the last several weeks that, um, well, there's obviously such a thing as, decept as, as, as deceptive simplicity. Of course. Um, some things sound simple to people who aren't guitar players, but turn out to be very difficult to play. Mm. That doesn't sound like it should be very difficult to play. Mm -hmm. And to me, it doesn't sound very interesting. That, 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 that's kind of my point, really. You, do, you know, remove kind of the technicality of it, the, sim the simplicity of it. It's almost bland, isn't it, really? When bands do this, um, when they deliberately pare down, tone down, background their feature instrument, um, it's normally to give some other musician their, 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 their sort of moment in the sun. Um, so let's carry on for a bit and see whether that happens with this track. I think the simplicity of that first riff just accentuates the uh, the 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 velocity of the of, of that of, you know of that double strum section basically was that a purposeful portmanteau of the words evil and velocity evil and velocity yeah i'm, I am, I'm smart i'm smarter than i look sometimes doc that's brilliant thank you sir i might have that yeah um, you can have it the e-velocity yeah yeah um so another thought i had um, so what have we got in that first chunk? Um, something that sounds like excessive simplicity, like anyone else can play it. Um, is this another example of Slayer's oft-lauded, seldom-heard hardcore influence? It's the closest we've got, isn't it, I think? I think so. Um, there were a couple of moments, once again, on that first album, but... Uh, no, the, 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 a couple of bits that sound like they might have been ripped off from Crass or, or, mm. or Black Flag. But, I mean, I, I'm still... Considering it's a thing about Slayer that gets talked up so much, I'm really struggling to pick it out. 
Um, I don't know what we're going to do when we get to undisputed attitude. I, I, we're still undecided, aren't we, at this point? Let, let's have a production meeting on air, Doc. Come on, why not? We, 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 we're still not quite sure, are we, what to do about that album because it's, it's an outlier. It's not their songs. But could, it, could that solve the, you know, the, the, the key to the conundrum? I don't know. I don't think you can call making an album of hardcore covers evidence of hardcore influence in your own music. Mm. Um, I mean, um, it's evidence of showing some love mm -hmm. um, and it's all good stuff in that respect. But I mean, I, I, I don't see how, um, yeah, um, making an album of punk and hardcore covers does anything to validate the claim that you have a hardcore influence in your music. Sure, um, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Because a death metal band could do, you know, a covers a covers album of, of like disco classics, couldn't they, if they wanted to? But it, but it wouldn't demonstrate influence, would it? No. Um, yeah. Or, for instance, the members of Faith No More could make a straight jazz album. Oh, go on, yeah, mm -hmm. which they did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. Um, it's all peripheral stuff. Um, I'm inclined to agree with you. Um, the evidence of the hardcore, the 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 the, the off-stated hardcore influence, um, is just playing fast. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 But I think it's this album because it's a bit more stripped down and just the the speed, effectively. Um, pretty much everything else about their music does not qualify as hardcore in any way. No, and I mean, I I think the other big thing about this album is. Um, it's when they were spending more time in New York City, um, more time around Rick Rubin, and then presumably people like Anthrax and people like Beastie Boys, and just spending more time with them. And you probably had more baggy pants and more denim showing mm. up at Slayer shows. But you and, know, um, you know, Je Jeff talks in interviews. So did, you know, he wasn't a prolific talker, but when he did speak, he would always talk about the fact that you know. When they, were, when they were kids, when they were 16, 17, he was bringing the hardcore and Kerry was bringing the, the metal, basically. So, you know, I mean, it, it, unless he's telling us untruths, then it was always there in the DNA. Um, I mean, once again, it's an influence that never... I suppose it's possible to have an influence that never manifests itself directly. You go out to a hardcore show, you absorb some of that energy, that vibe, um, that stuff, and you bring it along to your practice, mm -hmm. um, then you bringing along that energy can most definitely have an influence on, on what you play. It can have an influence on what how the band performs and what happens in that practice. But you, you don't... That doesn't have to be anything as obvious as playing some Minuteman riffs in the middle of the track. Yeah. I did, I've certainly experienced this. I remember... In, in, in a very early band, myself and the guitarist went to see uh, Biohazard, kind of mid-90s rap metal hardcore crossover stuff. Um, and we were blown away by them. We'd never heard anything like it. it, it really, really, you know, really enjoyed it. And guess what, Doc? Our next track sounded just like Biohazard. Isn't that, isn't that weird? Um, no, it's not weird. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and, you know, once again, if you go back to the days of when you're exposed to a new band that you'd never heard before, or you're exposed to a new form of music was likely to be a live show. Mm. Um, and 
this has happened to many people I've spoken to, that you'd go to a live show, you'd see some band um, who blew your tits off, um, and you'd go along to your next practice with a head full of your memories. And like, yeah, we've got to try and do it. something like this. We've got to try and do something like this. That's it, yeah. And obviously, through the process of forgetting and a week passing and you not being able to play like them or as well as them, and the other people in the band not having a clue what you're going on about. <laughs> um, it would never come out like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's influence, isn't it? You, you can hear the, you can hear, you know, the, you can, you, you can just hear the, the, the fragment that's still there. Yeah. Um, and um, like DNA, um, sometimes you get a throwback and something that wasn't even in apparent in a recording you made at the time or a, a, a recording that a band made at the time. 20 years on, you can listen to it and and and, and like a fine wine that mm. that 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 aroma has come to that that aroma has come to the surface. Mm, you're right, yes, yeah, um, and you can detect it. Arn! Name that solo. That's Jeff for sure. That is Jeff. Congrats, Doc. You're back on track. Thank God I'm for back, that. Baby. I'm oh. back, baby. Whew, it's been weeks. Here we go. I know. It's a tough one, really, to know where to stop. You know, normally I get a feel for, you know, where to press the button to stop the music. It's a bit like being like a master of past the parcel. You know, you you just get a vibe, don't you? Um, and normally I get the same thing with these tracks, but with this one, where do I stop it, Doc? Because it, it's just relentless, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, I mean, it, it, it doesn't pause for breath. I think, and this is probably what, this is probably what makes me, means that I will never be a true fan of thrash. Um, I like things much, much better when they stop and slow up and pause for breath. I like them less when they just put their heads down and go from one end to the other. Mm, mm. Um, and we've got no melody, really. You know, there's no single pick, you know, melody on the A string at all, really. Um I don't know. It's it's hard to find something to to latch onto for me. I'll be interested to get to know the thing we do at the end of the show, um, where you tell me how many times they played it, when they played it, when they played it first, when they played mm. it last. Because mm-hmm. I get the idea that this will either have been hardly ever played live at all, or um, will be like a a, a, a mosh pit staple. Sure. Um, you know, just. A track to rumble to, and that's all. Yeah, I know the answer, but I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep that as a teaser for later. But I will live again. My dreams will mean eternity. I sign up for the red. My rage will be unleashed again and burning the next morning. Definitely nothing left to win. I won't be reborn. And that's all I'll
I'm going to say that was Jeff again. You are quite correct. Brilliant, Doc. Absolutely brilliant. Um, I was obviously tempted to say Kerry King. Yeah. Um, but I thought maybe this track is going to have some typical Jeff and some untypical Jeff in it. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely fabulous. Yeah. And uh, of course, you, I understand why, you, you know, instinctively you wanted to go Kerry, knowing that the first one was Jeff. But does not this just typify once again the lack of ego in the guitarists? On the one hand, it's a lack of ego that they are um, they're not defensive about their own style. And I think it, it shows off the terrific good humour between them both. That they'll sort of, not parody exactly, but um, Jeff will play a solo in Kerry King style and, and vice versa as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, I can't think of another band where if there were two guitarists of equal standing... You know, where, where, where one is not clearly the rhythm and the other is the lead. You've got two guitarists of equal standing. There are two solos and one guitarist gets both. I, I cannot think of another band, Doc. No, I can't. No, it's um, very unusual. You know, I, I, I can think of the situation where there's, there's like the guy who's clearly the singer who also plays guitar a bit. Sure. Uh, but sure. then there's the other guy who's clearly the guitarist. Mm -hmm. No, I... I, I I can't think of another band where, like you said, there's clearly like two guitarists of equal stature um, yeah. and there's one track where they where, where one of them gets two solos. Yeah. Um, I, th I think it shows them in a really good light, Doc, personally. Mm. It's the collective before the individual, isn't it? It is. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we, we, um, we, we make the music work because that's more important than us, basically. Um, yeah, and um, to quote from um, Seven Samurai, um, I will teach you a rule of war. Collective action benefits the individual. Individualistic action harms the collective and therefore harms the individual. <laughs> So there we go. That was track seven from Raining Blood, which is, of course, Reborn. What do we make of it, Doc? It's a, it's a curio for me. If you played me that song and said, I'm not making this up, I promise. If you'd have played me that song and said, where does this come? I'd have had to have said track two or three on side two. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's a track two or three on side two kind of song. Um, you know at this point of the album, you're not going to blow off any listeners. I'm not saying... It's where you bury your filler, because uh, it's 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 too good of a song to be filler. Yeah, um, I think it's the closest. The actuality of that track is the closest to what I had in my head as to what Rain and Blood sounded like all the way through. Yeah, the, the, and that's why I go back to necrophiliac, you know, because not, not necrophiliac, so necrophobic. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, but, because that was the same, wasn't it? Really, you know, I can I complain that that track was too fast, um, unbelievably. <laughs> um, but you know, for which I did, you know, of course, I deserve any pillaring that I get. Um, and, and, and you know, maybe this maybe this just falls into the same stable. Um, I mean, this one is I think is even more simplistic. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it is very quick. It is quick, you know, and again, we've got the, you know, the structures there. You've got, we, you know, obviously we're going to go through the, the lyrics shortly. You know, we've, we've effectively got, depends how you look at it. You've, you've either got three verses or six verses. It depends how you look at it. But, but the, there's no actual obvious chorus um, 
because the I, I will be reborn be effectively the, the tale of the verses, if you see what I mean. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it, it's a strange one, Doc. I'm, I think it's situational. Imagine it's the year 1986. Imagine you're 12 or 13 years old um, and you've got this tape for the first time um, and possibly it's even the first thrash album you've ever heard. Yeah. Um, isn't that the track, along with Necrophobic, isn't that the track that you stop, you pull your tape machine out, press the stop button and just stand there on the pavement going, I can't believe what I've just heard. Sure. I've got to rewind that track and play it. There's... <clears throat> I'm not using this word as a pejorative in any way, shape, or form. It's very adolescent. Yeah, yeah. It, um, it, it's just it, it's just an assault, isn't it? Basically, you know, it's just almost like puerile assault on the senses. Well, it's the kind of thing that almost because of its lack of redeeming qualities, it's the kind of thing that would really piss your parents off, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it, 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 if, you, if 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 you wanted to annoy your neighbour and put a track on loop. Um, that's the kind of song you pick, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I find what because our favorite expression just drums, drums, and more drums, you know. Well, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, that's I use the word adolescent, I hope, in a positive way. I'm going to suggest that you use the word puerile also in a positive way, if such a thing can be imagined. I I think Um, so. Yeah, so I didn't really mean a pejorative from it. Um, sure, puerile as in. You know, not very mature, I suppose. Um, well, it, it's it, tell me what you think about this. Um, it's so much what non-heads think thrash metal sounds like. Mm. People who aren't heads, people who aren't really into any given thing, have got some pre- preconceived idea about what stuff sounds like. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think there's almost a case to be made, well... You know, so this is what you think thrash metal sounds like. Here you go. We'll give you a song like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's almost like a like a, a middle finger, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. If, 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 if you're going to accuse us of that, we might as well do it. Or, I mean, even if it's not to even if it's not to piss off parents and teachers, um, it's either a bone being tossed or a cockeyed sneer being tossed. Mm. The very, very undemanding section of the thrash audience. Mm, mm. Um, Shall we get on with the lyrics, Doc, and see if we can find yeah. any, any, any any level of maturity there? Welcome to part three of the show. Um, here, we're going to read through the lyrics and analyse them, I suppose. So let's get on with the first set. Convicted which my life will end at midnight on the stake. My dedicated life was spent to insubordinate. Secured by lock inside a cell, imprisoned for no crime. The shackles will be useless when your life is out of time. Incantation spell gone by. I will see life again. My deals will made eternally. I signed the Book of Red. That's Kerry. It's got to be Kerry. <laughs> my rage will be unleashed again, burning the next morn. Death means nothing. There's no end. I will be reborn. Okay, Doc. So, well, we've, we've got some stuff to get our teeth into here, I think. Oh, um, 
They're quite good lyrics, mate. Yeah. They're quite good. Yeah, well, that, that was my final note, actually. These are great lyrics. That's what I've written. Yes, they are. Yeah. Um, That's what I've written. Go on then, Doc. So a couple of really obvious sources here. Um, we already know that Mr. King and Mr. Hanneman were, uh, or suspect that they're a little more literate than maybe many people have given them credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, an obvious source for this could be um, the Ash Tree by M.R. James, which mm-hmm. concerns the, the 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 vengeance of I was going to say a wrongfully convicted, I think probably a correctly convicted witch. Okay. Um, <clears throat> except, um, I wish Slayer had actually written a song um, about that story because um, the manner of the witch's revenge concerns, as you might guess, persecuting the descendants of her persecutors. And the means of vengeance by which she persecutes them is to have them harassed by um, creatures that are described as something like enormous spiders, but with babies' heads instead of bodies. Oh, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That, that must traumatise you, Doc. Yeah, I mean, I, I really don't like babies. Mm, of course, yes. You find with spiders, but those babies, good Lord. Great rhyme here. At midnight on the stake... And then to insubordinate. What a brilliant... I mean, I know it's not a strict rhyme, but pedants, kiss my ass. What a brilliant rhyme that is. Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely great. So Cuba Lock inside a cell in prison for no crime. The shackles will be useless when your life is out of time. I love the threat here. Those shackles will be useless. You know, preempting the narrative to come effectively. Definitely. Yeah, um... it's great. So I'm just going to bring up my second possible reference, which I think is far more likely than a short story by M.R. James, um, is the film Matthew Hopkins, Which Find a General, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming you must be familiar with. Well, that's uh, Vincent Price, surely. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It certainly is Vincent Price. Obviously, um, the most startling moment about that film compared to the lyrics of the song is that... Um, very much as a, this, this topic's come up in the context of Slayer songs, Matthew Hopkins, was, which find a general, has no supernatural component at all. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no real witches who can do magic in that film. I am Matthew Hopkins, witch finder. I'm also convinced that that must be based on some irredeemable piece of soft porn, Euro trash, mm. horror nonsense. Um, <laughs> I have not seen, but oh my God, I want to. <laughs> I've got a couple of, of notes on the on the second half of, of, of this verse. Um, so it, it, they say, my deals will 
made eternally. My deals will made eternally. It, it, is there a mistake there, Doc, in, in, in the lyrics? I mean, my deals were made eternally, surely. Um, or or is the deals will something that, I, that um, I'm not familiar with? The syntax is a bit odd. I assume that it's will in the context of last will and testament, because there's a reference to signing a contract later exactly, on. Exactly. <laughs> that's kind of, that's kind of, so, you know, a deal's will, a deal's will, it, but then to work grammatically, it would, it would still then need to say, will be made eternally, wouldn't it? Um, well, I, I, I probably need to look at more US legal jargon, um, which is its own idiom. And I wouldn't be surprised um, if deals will um, is a specific kind of legal document. That's what I wondered if, you know, if, if that was like in quotes, as like a, a compound thing, basically, a yeah. deals will, that's something, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, we would need to look a little more closely um, at um, US legal jargon. Yeah. And let's be honest, we're not going to do that. So we're never going to know the answer, are we? No. No. Um, other than that, if it isn't that, um, it's just a really odd mashed together bit of syntax. Yeah. Um, the guy, the, the guy wanted, did, didn't know whether he wanted to talk about um, my deals made eternally in the Faustian sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, or my will made eternally. Yeah. Um, or um, whether he was just, uh, there's always a case of being a bit too clever for your own good. Mm. Um, so. We suspected previously that, that um, Slayer and Joy and Nietzsche uh, are, are, are vaguely familiar with uh, that particular gruff old German. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a, an endless preoccupation um, in many of, of, of Nietzsche's works that one, one attempts to make oneself immortal um, by conceiving of an immortal will. Um, mm -hmm. which will manifest itself in great works that will make their mark on history. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, do you have a, a, do you know what the, the, the book of red might be? I mean, in, in the, that's my next question, Doc. I, my note here is I love this, but what is it? I don't know. I, I, don't, I, I just think it's a great image. The book of red. It, it, it's wonderful, isn't it? Red, big, I mean, blood is, is the obvious um, you know, something written in blood or bound in, in kind of bloody flesh or something like that. But I don't know anything. So it, and in fact, I did try to find um, any reference earlier today and I could find nothing of, of, any, of any note. Um, is it an extremely poetic and really quite elegant reference to the, um, and apparently this was brought up more than once in real actual uh, witch trials, witches would use a, a, a scrap of cloth that had been used during menstruation mm -hmm. yeah. um, to, um, to perpetrate evil acts or to, to, to pass curses onto people. Mm. Um, I, I, I've, I've, I've never heard it referred to as the Book of Red before, mm. um, but it, it's, it's a nicely poetic image, if that's what they meant. I yeah, think. I mean, there's no, other, there's no other allusion to menstruation, I don't think, in the rest of the song, but it, it certainly crossed my mind as well, you know, because, it, because we're, de we're dealing with a witch and, you know, yeah. obviously like, the prevailing views of women at that time, you know, that, you know, the, you know you've got the curse or whatever, you know. Um, yeah, per perfectly, perfectly possible. Um, 
and then and then it closes out with this death means nothing there's no end i'll be reborn again there doc we've we've, we've got the slam mythos haven't we you know that there is no end to life we just keep everything just keeps going in a cycle you know it you know the the misery is without without end yeah i mean this i i've, I've referred to it before as um a lot of the, the Slayer cosmology of the Slayer mythos boils down to, or one part of it boils down to, death is not the end. Death yeah. is really the, the, the next step. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this is the, the closest, these words here are the closest to that. It comes, death means nothing, there's no end. No gift of exile in my pain, I'll get no empathy. I take it to my destiny, there is no way to leave. Proclaim my death to win my wrath, I take the world out of stride. In doubt, in a fact, of course, I will never die. You think by killing me tonight, my powers will not rise. There'll be nowhere for you to run when I hate to come to life. Condemned to feel the prophecy, a lie, no first born. Divide them over decorous and leave you ripped and torn. No gift of exile in my fate, I'll get no amnesty. I can't control my destiny, there is no habitual need. Proclaim my death to end my wrath. It takes more than one try. Indulge your ineffective curse. I will never die. You think by killing me tonight, my powers will not rise. There'll be nowhere for you to run when my hatred comes to life. Condemned to fill the prophecy, allowing no firstborn. Defy your morbid declaration. Leave you ripped and torn. Go on, Tom. You scream that last word, man. Great again, Doc. I mean, it, you know, it's it just, I mean, it, it, it's, 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 it's hammer horror-tastic, isn't it? Come on. Yeah, um, I'm a little bit surprised here. Um, <clears throat> this business of allowing no firstborn, mm-hmm. um, that, I, I'm going to say that that's an explicit M.R. James reference. Go on. Explanation, sir? Um, well, um, in at least the ash tree, um, and very probably in at least one more story that I can think of, there's an idea of a, a, a vengeful, a vengeful curse. Um, obviously, after the manner of um, the curse which which Yahweh placed upon the Egyptians in the Book of Genesis, the aim of the entity uh, is to put an end to the family. Um, and if you want to bring some gender politics into this, the entities go much easier on the women than they do on the men. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's always the first it's it's always the eldest sons um, who get targeted mm. um, because amongst other things, Mr. James has has a bit of a preoccupation with heritage and bloodline and longevity, um, mm-hmm. and the entities tend to be not merely content with killing their persecutor; they kind of have to leave it a little while um, and then begin sort of wiping out the bloodline mm. um that seems to be a, a, a pretty explicit reference to that just there uh, but yeah great lyrics um couple of things i'm uncertain about go on. i can't control my destiny there is no habitual need do you fancy having a go at that well i've literally i've literally written next to that i don't understand this yeah, that, that's my note next to those lines. I don't understand what that means. I can't control my There is no habitual need. Habitual need to do what? I don't know. Um, is it a slightly cat-handed attempt to liken predestiny, predestination, um, to some form of addictive compulsion? Mm, mm. Uh, it doesn't work very well. It doesn't scan properly. And neither, honestly, does the next line um, 
proclaim my death to end my wrath, it takes more than one try. Yeah, because that suggests that, you know, the you kind of Matthew Hopkins figures have, 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 have kind of, you know, mistreated this particular woman in the past. Um, well, it, but, if, but if she's some kind of, I mean, it seems to me from the from the lyrics, she, 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 she you know, she she has dark powers. She has arcane satanic powers. So what, you know, why did she allow it to take place the first time? Well, it's it sort of invites the question. Well, how many tries does it take? Then? Yeah, yeah, two, three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, yeah so, so maybe kind of is this a like a, a low entry for mild Slayer lyrics? It's a low entry. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm just sort of trying to imagine my my, my take on, on on how this scene in this film would go, and obviously at this point. Um, the Inquisitor would sort of make 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 a note in his um, in his journal um, and say the sentence to be burned and beheaded thrice. <laughs> <laughs> listeners, honestly, listeners, I had the pleasure of seeing the doc enact that <laughs> facially. It was, it was absolutely wonderful. Yes, <laughs> fabulous performance, doc. Really enjoyed that. Um, so, my question for Slayer at the end of this song is. How many times then? Yeah, Come on. yeah, yeah. Um, indulge your ineffective curse. I will never die. So the I is the witch. So who's mm-hmm. who's who's doing the cursing? Because I, I didn't think kind of puritanical sorts were known for cursing people, more for kind of stringing them up and cutting them into small pot, small bits and bobs. I think it's Book of Deuteronomy stuff, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you go into Pentateuchal ta- uh, Talmudic law. Um, there's uh, something about that. that, that um, those who practice necromancy and dark magic, thou shalt not suffer them to live, for I shall curse them with a curse. Or so. I, I think it's 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 definitely the the, the Old Testament okay. God yeah. doing yeah. the cursing. Yeah. So, so we've got the we've got the kind of pillar of salt God being enacted here, effectively. Yeah. You think by killing me tonight, my powers will not rise. I love the brash arrogance here of the narrator. You know, she she is absolutely confident that there is nothing that her that her tormentor can do. You know, that, that's actually going to be effectual in any way. I think it's great. This is also very um, the Ash Tree by M. R. James. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a section in that where um, someone's reading an old account of the um, the hanging of Mistress Mothersole, the witch. Um, and there's a great bit where this very posh 19th century man is reading this sort of 17th century English. Um, and um, uh, it says something along the lines of the sensibilities of the onlookers were greatly mortified by the oaths and threats which came from her mouth. But I, I just love this image of the fact that people who are coarse enough and ghoulish enough to turn out to a public hanging somehow feel the need to stop their ears and, 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 and moan and complain when the witch starts swearing at them. Yeah, of course. Yes, yes. It, 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 it's ironic, isn't it? Or, uh, you know, it's a bit like, you know, the American viewing public. They get all bent out of shape when they see a nipple, but don't mind people's heads being blown off by hundreds of bullets being sprayed everywhere you know well obviously um yeah. but i mean uh, and um i think it's also worth mentioning that um 
if you watch, for instance, Matthew Hopkins, Witchfinder General, um, those Puritans who are doing the witch persecuting um, are a significant um, influence on the people who went on to found the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, we, I think we've discussed it. Well, I think we discussed it during the Jesus Saves episodes, didn't we? The you know the the, the, the curiosity of the you know the transition of religion from Britain to America, how it went through, seemed to go through a very kind of strange path. Yeah, and I, I think looking back on that, um, there's just so many different influences. Um, we were talking about televangelists who are popular, largely popular in the parts of the US that seem to have been settled largely by um, people of Scots-Irish descent. Mm. And many of those were Catholics, um, and many of them would have been fleeing persecution economic and religious, by the British authorities. <clears throat> um, the areas in the opposite corner of the country, around Maine and Massachusetts, um, would have been settled by um, the very Protestants who were the textbook example of the people who'd been doing the persecuting. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and presumably because a friend in need is a friend indeed, um, and when you're all far from home, um, and what you'll take most comfort in is some other people who look like Christians and have a Bible. Um, then those cultures entered into a sort of odd syn- syncretism, um, at least for a while. So you have the descendants of Scots-Irish Catholics who um, appear to have no problem with embracing this very crudely Protestant kind of idea of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and... Maybe kind of better the devil you know, really, you know, ironically. <clears throat> um, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's interesting to me that both of those groups of people um, took a big part in chasing the other group out of their home country. And I mean, obviously, when you get to Holland and Germany um, and then the fallout from the Thirty Years' War and the fallout from the, the schism, the initial schism between the Lutherans and the Catholics... Mm-hmm then things get even more interesting and even more complicated. Mm. Um, but yeah, when you're when you're far from anything you recognise um, in what seems to be a very savage and very godless country, um, you're probably likely to gravitate towards anyone a bit stern-looking with a black coat and a beard and a Bible. Yeah, I mean, say, what, say what you want about the Protestants, Doc. At least they're not. At least they weren't holding spears. I reckon that's what the Catholics were thinking back in the day, Doc. Yeah, and there's a lot to be said for not holding spears. There is. Um, when there'll be nowhere for you to run when my hatred comes to life. Now, I've always misheard this lyric until I saw this written down. I always thought it said when when there'll be nowhere for you to run when Hades comes to life. I've, I've just always misheard that, but both work, don't they? I suppose. Yours is better. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. I'll, I will write. I will write to Kerry King immediately to demand a correction. Um, and then finally, my final point, uh, the, the, last couple of, the last couple of lines, defy your morbid declaration, leave you ripped and torn. So we've had piece by piece, we've had limb from limb, and now we've got ripped and torn. They, they've, they've kind of worked through all the euphemisms now, haven't they, for dismemberment? Ripped and torn far more than the others. Um... <laughs> Here's another one of those great quotes that you, 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 can, you can attribute to me. Um, more than any other slayer threat, 
ripped and torn sounds like anal violation. Well, it, 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 there's definitely a, like a potential sexual element to that, which which is not in the other two. You know, because ripped and torn, we 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 can imagine the, the the particular parts of the body that are being ripped and torn, can't we? Let let, let let's face it. Um, should we do the last little the last little section here, Doc? Can your blessing would be priest as I burn upon the stake? You'd be forgiven endlessly, but your values are all fake. Forever servant of my Lord by choice and not submission. Maybe now I've made you wonder, am I superstition? Now, there is another eight lines, but it's a repetition. So, you know, obviously we're not going to repeat it. Um, can your blessing would be priest as I burn upon the stake? My God. I mean, that's proper sardonic slayer, isn't it? You know, it, 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 it really it seems to be dripping with kind of sarcasm, basically. You, you, um, you, again, you do what you want to me. I'm coming to get you, motherfucker. And um, there's, there's, there's some interesting wordplay here. Um, if you think about the historical Matthew Hopkins, um, I believe he liked to present himself in the guise of a clergyman, mm-hmm. as a, a, a would-be priest. He never was a clergyman of any kind. He's oh. described in, a, in, in, in contemporary history um, as um, a lawyer, though of little note. Now, that's very interesting, Doc, because I presumed that the would-be priest was like a, just a disparaging comment from this kind of demonic hell hag witch or whatever, you know, whatever this creature is that, you know, that's being attacked. So I, I just presume that was a blanket opinion of all clergymen, but, you, but you're suggesting actually, you know, this is specifically Matthew Hopkins. Um, not, not necessarily Matthew Hopkins, but someone like Matthew Hopkins. Yeah. Um, the well, England didn't even suffer very badly um, from um, witch hunts. Mm. Um, in Germany, which suffered much more badly, um, there were any number of people who there, there were any number of these would-be priests um, who were able to, uh, in some cases, buy a license to become a licensed witch finder, or in some cases, just set themselves up as freelance witch, um, witch finders. Mm. And they hadn't they, they, they would be hired by villages to rid them of witches. And the payment which they received for ridding the village of a witch was called a blessing. Okay. Um, so we have this line: "Count count your blessing with the priest." I love the I, I love this line. You, well, with these two lines: "You'd be forgiven endlessly, but your values are all fake." Yeah, well, I mean, what? There's there's great power there, isn't there, Doc? And once again, I'm I'm interested as to what we're supposed to make of it. If I'm right about this first line, um, one assumes that um, if the persecution of witches have been carried out by um, a pious and just man in the service of God, um, then God would forgive them, even if their actions were wrong. Um, I suppose the accusation here is, um, because we know it's a would-be priest, um, we know it's an absolute nobody from Leipzig or something who's bought a hat and a Bible that he probably can't even read and sets himself up as a freelance witch finder. So um, I'm going to move on to this next line. Um, Forever servant of my Lord by mm-hmm. choice and not submission. 
Um, so another bit of Slayer cosmology here. <clears throat> um, yeah. You choose to align yourself with Satan. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you do it out of, and this, this, this comes up time and time again, um, the people who follow God are doing it out of meekness or weakness um, or because they have no choice. The people who follow Satan do it entirely out of choice, which presumably means they have the agency or will to be able to make a choice in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I've commented in my notes here, you've got kind of these, these four lines kind of go together really, because one is the punch, you, you know, you'd be forgiven endlessly, but your values are all fake. That's, that's the first strike. And then the body blow, you know, forever sort of done my law, but by choice and not submission, you know, you know that, that, that's the knockout punch basically, you know, I've, I've criticized you once and now I'm, and now I'm going to be morally superior over you effectively. We've got this last line that makes me wonder whether you were right about the first line. Maybe now I've made you wonder around my superstition. That has the feeling of being something that's addressed to a crowd at large. Um, you suggested that at the beginning of the first line of this verse. I disagreed with you. Sure. I'm going to have to give it up and say you've got at least equal claim. Mm. Um, because this last line sounds like it's not... That's not being delivered merely to one person in private or at the moment of confession. Um, that's, you know, um, someone who's like momentarily broken free um, from the hangman or from the the, 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 the burning man, mm. <laughs> whatever he's called. Does he have a name? I don't know. And I don't know. No. He should have. Yes, you're um, right. He deserves a title. Yeah, the, 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 the burning man. Um, <laughs> she's cursing the crowd at large. I feel. What is it about that line that makes me think that? Is it the word maybe? Maybe now I've made you wonder. Because uh, I mean, there's, there's there's no plural version of you in English, um, and it certainly doesn't say maybe now I've made you all wonder. Am I superstition? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, if she were addressing the crowd the crowd who hired the witch finder and who've turned out to the public execution, well, they wouldn't think it was superstition, would they? I suppose it depends, doesn't it? You know, um, how indoctrinated they are, how much they, you know, believe in their, in their leaders. Um... That's what I mean. If, if they were completely indoctrinated, they wouldn't think it was superstition. They'd think it was truth. They oh, just fact. Oh, yeah, very, yeah, very interesting point. Yes, yeah. Oh, so you're making the distinction here between um, kind of biblical truth and superstition. Well, and I, foolishly, I, I kind of conflated those two things. Um, I think in this kind of ultra pious Protestant setting, I think truth would be con- uh, superstition would be considered pagan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think truth would be considered biblical, and I think superstition would be, yeah, um, old woodland religion stuff. Yes. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, the, yeah, the, 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 you know, the, the nice friendly stuff basically would be the pagan, yeah, the pagan things. You know, the, the the tree hugging, dancing in fields naked, and you know, romping around as, as we all eat roast potatoes, kind of stuff. That, that's, that's what right, pagans yeah. do, isn't it, Doc? 
I suddenly remembered um, the word in German and allied languages, uh, Hexen. Hexen are a great recent thrash band. So obviously that's where they get that name from, which I did not know. Yeah, it's 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 old or middle German for um, the or the equivalent of, I guess. Um, it's not the, the equivalent word would be Volkish, but the, the equivalent meaning to the French uh, de pay or mm-hmm. payen. Sure. It's it, it, almost to do with peace, isn't it? De pay is, is peace. Um, I think it means village. I think it means belonging to the village. Oh, really? Um, oh, I don't know that. I don't know that usage, but that's, that's okay. Hexen. Um, I, you know, I imagine that some deriv, you know, there's some derivation there with a hex. You know, like that's right. Curse. Yeah, yeah. There, there must yeah. be, haven't they? Which is curse. Yeah. Yeah, um, there must be. Um, conspiracy theorists might want to ponder the similarity between um, geometric shapes such as the hexagon or the hexagram. Mm. Oh, good look. Oh, God, Doc, Doc, you're off again. You're off again. We're, <laughs> we're an hour and a half in, and you, and you want to open a subject that's going to take us thirty minutes to discuss. Anything else to say here, Doc, or are we done with the lyrics? What do we think? I think we are done with the lyrics. I mean, yeah. the, the lyrics are better than the music in it. The, 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 the lyrics deserved a better song, honestly. Mm, mm. I, I'm surprised, actually, um, by these lyrics. I must have heard this song no fewer than a thousand times. I had no idea it was about witches. You know, it's one of those things, isn't it? You know, I just never contemplated what, what, what they were banging on about. No, I mean, from, from, from the sound of it, um, you imagine it to be about um, urban apocalypse or nuclear holocaust or something. Are um, we reborn? I just, I don't know, because that's the only bit of lyric they ever really registered. I will be re- It could be about anything, couldn't it, really? But no, yeah. kind of Salem-style witch trials just never, ever occurred to me. So very surprised by the subject matter. Um, I think they're great lyrics, incidentally, Doc. I, I think we've already said that, but... I think it's, it is worth repeating, you know. I think they're great lyrics. Yeah, and really, it's, really, it's, really good. It's a welcome return of the um, the Slayer mythos. Yeah, um, yeah, you're right, just, actually. Just about every part of the, um, every baseline ingredient of the, um, the Slayer mythos is here. Um, mm. Those who follow Satan, follow Satan out of choice. Those who follow God, follow God out of obedience or weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, death is not the end. Mm. Um, justice when carried out by humans is meaningless or at least horribly corrupt. Yeah. Um, and zombies. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> what more can a man ask for? Well, the, the, the only thing I could ask for, and it wouldn't really fit in this song, would be skeletal Nazis. <laughs> Maybe next week. Maybe next week. Yeah. Um <laughs> Welcome to part four of Slaytanic Vercast. Here we're just going to give you our final thoughts and summations. Writing credits, music by Jeff Hanneman. Lyrics, wait for this doc, Kerry King by his lonesome. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, I mean, genuinely unbelievable because they're so good. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I think this is the first example of Kerry really stepping up on the lyric front. Uh, uh, it's, it's really great. And credit to him, you know, credit where credit's due and all that, it's all that some, bullshit. It's got some fantastic Kerry Kingisms in it. Uh, which, it and honestly, at this stage, we'd expect no less. Well, it is funny, isn't it? You, you mentioned, you know, at, at the end of the last section, the return of the of the, the, the Slayer mythology, 
I think that is Kerry's guiding hand at work, basically. I think he's the one that kind of injects that stuff into the lyrics. Yeah. But we'll keep our eye on that as, as we progress. Um, according to Setlist, this was played 157 times, putting it in 43rd position, just like Criminally Insane, the previous song. Exact same statistics, Doc. So it seems to me every time they played one, they played the other. So, you know, it, 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 uh, these two tracks come as a pair when they play it live by the looks of things. Yeah. Um, and it's the same details again for Criminally Insane. So I can't be bothered to repeat it. If you're really fascinated, guys, go on to last week's episode. Um, loud, according to Loudwire, this is Slayer's 25th best song. Um, and here's what they say. Mixing a variety of incisive riffs, trampling beats and rapid fire vocals. Reborn is a song for intense cardiovascular exercise. <laughs> it's a good line. Providing you're willing to risk having your aorta burst open mid-song. The lyrics are about a witch sentenced to die, but who has signed the Book of Red, promising immortality, hence the song title. Yeah, pretty brief this week, but yeah, again, as ever, nothing to complain about there. Um, anything you haven't said, Doc, before we, before we give our scores? Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I'm all out. Yeah, I, I think I'm quite similar, actually. You know, it's a pretty middling song for me. Um, not very memorable. Certainly not one that I would... And this is my litmus test, isn't it, for this album, that, that, that I've said several times. Would I put this track on by itself? Answer, truthful answer, Doc? Probably not. Um, so I guess we just pronounce, if, if, if we've got nothing else to say. Let's pronounce. Go on then, Doc. Give, give me your swords. Best I can do, even though the lyrics are great, I can't. I, I can't go higher than five, mate. It's five, it's five from the doc. Five liquescent swords from Doctor Liquescence himself, of course. Because who else could be uh, issuing liquescent swords? It would be preposterous, wouldn't it, doc, if somebody else did it? How many <laughs> moulding skulls? Um, um, I think I do think it's a good song. I think I think the lyrics are great. I think I think it matches necrophobic for me, and I gave ne necrophobic seven. So I'm, I'm going to have to do the same, Doc. It, it's got to be seven out of ten. Seven mouldering most schools out of ten for reborn. Okay, guys, that about does it for this episode. Remember, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast, on email at slatanicvercast at gmail dot com. Join us next time when we will be talking about the eighth track from Rain in Blood, which is entitled Epidemic. I'll see you then, Doc. See you later. Bye-bye.